0: You're listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of greenbiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line.
1: For Green Biz Radio, I'm Tildy Herrera. Businesses, large and small, are increasingly asking themselves, what is our green strategy? They may not understand exactly what that means, but they do know they need to get one. Along this road, they are finding obstacles and opportunities as they navigate through a green marketplace with few hard and fast rules, according to Joel McCower. Joel is GreenBiz.com's executive editor and author of the new book, Strategies for the Green Economy, Opportunities and Challenges in the New World of Business. I sat down with Joel to talk about the book and the three keys he offers to help companies assess how well they're doing and answer the question, how good is good enough? So, Joel, it's been 14 years since your last book. How has the green economy evolved since you wrote Beyond the Bottom Line?
0: I don't think we really had a green economy 14 years ago. In fact, that's a term that we're really only starting to hear about lately. Um, I think just when you go back even five years, let alone 14, it was just a collection of companies doing things there wasn't any real strategy behind it there wasn't any sense that this is uh, more than simply doing well by doing good or doing less bad or uh, somehow improving the bottom line by being more environmentally responsible and i think what we were talking about the green economy this is really about how does this go beyond moving, improving the bottom line to how do we actually grow the top line? How does green and its, all of its manifestations become a platform for innovation and for new products and services, new business opportunities, new markets, and in some cases, whole new business models? And that's where this stuff gets exciting. That's where this really becomes sustainable from a traditional business point of view where this really becomes part of how companies operate and what they need to do to compete.
1: So there's no uniform standard for what constitutes a green business. How do you foresee this changing and what are the factors and who are the players that are going to help create this definition of what it means to be a green business?
0: One of the things I talk about a lot in the book is the fact that we don't have a standard. We don't know what it means to be a green business. We, we know what it means to be a green building because there's a standard for that. And if you think about what green buildings were like before the advent of the LEED green building standard, you know, you had any company could say, we've got recycled carpet and low VOC paint on our walls. We're a green building. Or we've got uh, double glazed windows and recycled concrete in the front. We're a green building. And those are all good things, but it turns out there was a much broader, more, more holistic definition of what it meant to be a green building so too with green businesses. We don't have any real standard. There are some industry-specific standards, and there are some, some standards for certifications for smaller businesses like Co-op Americas, but we don't really have a, 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 a accepted something that's understood by consumers or, or B2B customers, regulators, the media, and others that says, okay, this company is green. This company has really sort of achieved some level. I don't know what it's gonna to take to, to get there. Um, there's a number of efforts have been, that have been underway, some still underway to create this this standard for a green or sustainable business, but none of them has any chance of getting traction anytime soon. Some of them may eventually do that over, over the uh, course of years. So right now it's really a matter of each individual, individual consumers and individual B2B customers to come up with their, some ways, their own definitions, their own standards. And that's a problem we don't have the really the tools to do that and we don't know we don't have that information from the companies themselves to even allow us to make those things and unless you're at the scale of a walmart where you can really command information uh if you if they want to do business with you uh, it's really kind of a free-for-all and so for a while we're i think we're all going to be on our own
1: so how does that lack of uniform standard translate to the challenges faced by companies trying to market their green products
0: well, it's, it's very challenging, you know, and and as you talk about it in the book, I think there's a, at least as much of a risk of green muting, which is to say not talking about what you're doing, as there is of greenwashing, which is to say talking about it in a way that's perceived to be hype or, or even uh, misleading. So I think that I think that you know companies have to figure out how to walk that fine line, how to how to be telling their stories authentically that says, you know, this is what we're doing and this is part of where we're going to these bigger goals and you know we're not all the way there and we may never get there and here's some of the stuff we're struggling with I think we're at a point now again both with consumers and b2b where people want green heroes corporate heroes they want business to step up to the plate at the same time ironically don't tend to trust companies when they talk the green talk So we need to break through that, and we need to help show that this is a company, we're a company that is on the right path. We're not perfect. No one said we were. We don't claim that, but we're on the right path. And that's the challenge that I think companies are starting to face.
1: So you just talked about two different audiences that companies are targeting. What are the rules for marketing your products to consumers versus a B2B business audience or customer base?
0: Well, in some ways, they're similar because you've got to, you know, you've got to tell the story, you know, in an honest and and authentic way. But, you know, I I think most people assume that this is being driven by consumers and consumers are. And if you look at the surveys that the consumers have been telling us for, well, 20 years that 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 they want to buy green products from so-called good companies. But it's actually the B2B world that's driving the changes far more so. because businesses are you know, setting standards in their supply chain. Look, when Walmart says we w- we, we want to get rid of unconcentrated detergents to these condensed uh, 2x uh, kinds of versions, nobody says you know why. Ironically, this was tried in the early 90s, uh, and the consumers rejected it. Uh, Procter and Gamble, if it was one company that tried to 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 create a condensed, uh, concentrated detergent and put the same amount in, in half the size, and you had consumers sit there and say, "Okay, there's a 64 ounce bottle and a 128 ounce bottle, and they both cost the same. Never minding the fact that they, they actually you know do the same number of loads. Um, I want the bigger bottle." And so even though it's heavier to carry home, so people rejected those. And, and it was until Walmart came along and said, okay, we're no longer going to sell the bigger bottle. We only want the small concentrated version that the entire industry had to change. And we're seeing that not just with retail, but with lots of companies that are saying, we don't want those other products anymore. We don't want the raw materials that are polluting, that are over General Motors recently committed to having 80 plants around the world that, that throw away zero waste. Nothing going to landfill. Most of it gets recycled or, and a little bit of it goes to uh, waste to energy. They already have 14 plants worldwide that have achieved that. Um, that sends tremendous change up, you know, down the supply chain as you companies have to say, okay, we can't package things anymore the way we package them because it's disposable packaging. Here's just one example of the savings. GM has basically eliminated wooden shipping pallets from their supply chain because they were one-way, one-time use, disposable. They're throwing away hundreds of thousands of them a day. And by doing so, General Motors is saving $100,000 in disposal fees and earning $50,000 reselling the corrugated cardboard pallets that have been replaced, saving $100,000 and earning $50,000 every business day. So, you know, once you've done that, why would you do business any way different? Uh, that speaks far more than than consumers' whims, where they say they want to change, but only in the condition that. Uh, I want to buy a different, the greener product, as long as it doesn't mean I have to pay any anymore, suffer any inconvenience, or go out of my way in the slightest. That's a much tougher bunch of hurdles in which to, to, to clear.
1: Now, I've heard you say quite a bit in the past that one of the most frequent questions you get asked is, how good is good enough? What does that mean, and what is your answer to that, and how has your answer changed over the years?
0: Well, this is a problem, that we don't have real standards for, for what a, a green business is. And you know, if you start with the assumption that the market for any trend or technology uh, or transformation uh, requires some kinds of norms and standards, whether they're legal ones or voluntary ones or, or just cultural ones, we don't have that here. And, and and so that's causing companies to try and figure this out. How do we how, how do we know how good we have to be? I actually have you hear from companies ask me that question. How good do we have to be? And you know, it sort of reminds me. My father was a dentist, and and, and some of his patients used to occasionally ask him, "Do I need to floss all my teeth?" <laughs> to which he to which he answered, "Only the ones you want to keep." <laughs> But, you know, I mean, how, how green do we have to be? Well, ideally, you have to, you know, you have to try and do everything right to some extent, but there's no standards, and the market isn't telling you that, and consumers and even B2B customers aren't necessarily telling you that here is the mark you have to, you have to pass or the hurdle you have to clear. So until we have those kinds of standards, it's really, you know, companies are grappling with this, and you end up with, with situations, uh, this paradox in which when you talk about what you're doing right, you often illuminate problems that the public didn't know you had. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? You're using 2% organic cotton now? Why? Oh, well, yeah, really, I didn't realize that cotton was such a pesticide-intensive industry. That's That must incredible implications for groundwater runoff and worker health and safety and the birds in the trees. Why are you only 2%? Why aren't you doing 5%? You know, we're going to do campus boycotts till you commit to 10% organic cotton. That's the challenge companies often face in thinking about, well, how good do we have to be?
1: Well, that sort of touches on one of your previous points, you know, greenwash versus green muting, uh, which do you think is a bigger concern?
0: Well, greenwashing is a bigger challenge to companies, green muting is a bigger challenge to society, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, when you talk about things that are accused of greenwash, and these days that term is, is thrown around willy-nilly, it, it's not. It, it's sort of guilty until proven innocent, and particularly if you're a big company, that anything you do, any green claim you make is automatically assumed to be greenwash until somehow proven otherwise. I mean, that's a, that's a problem for you as a company right now, although some companies just blow through that and say, look, it doesn't matter what people say, This is, we're committed to this and we're gonna do this in, in either case. But there's a case to be made that not talking about what you're doing is a disservice not only to yourself as a company and to your employees and the other people who are pitching in often against, you know, all odds to to, to get these things done, but to society who may not see the bandwagon that's really taking place in the business world and therefore not be able to, you know, get on that bandwagon and accelerate this transformation we're going through. So I don't know. I don't know how to, you know, definitively answer that, except they're both big problems.
1: Now, going back to your question, how good is good enough, you also offer companies three questions or keys that they can use to help answer that question. What are they?
0: Well, very simply, and these are of a high level, and came out of my own you know, asking questions, a series of questions to companies, when I boiled down to, they basically amounted to these three questions. What do you know? What are you doing? And what are you saying? So what do you know? You know do you really understand what your impacts are? And most companies don't. Uh, they, and when they look they, and, and figure it out, they're often surprised. So Coca-Cola, a few years ago, tried to figure out the carbon footprint of its operations, and you think about all that they're doing, sourcing bottles and cans and aluminum glass and plastic, and moving water, which is extremely energy intensive, and, and, and transporting it all over the place from their nearly 1,000 bottling plants, and if you would actually count all the number of vehicles in the world that had a Coke logo on it and, and assume that they were company owned fleets, which is, isn't the case, they'd have the biggest fleet on the planet. So, what's the biggest part of their carbon footprint? It's actually refrigeration. It's Coke uh, machines. Right. Coke machines and, and fountains and restaurants and those refrigerators, when you go into the 7 Eleven and they have the Coke labeled refrigerators, that's marketing equipment. Mm-hmm. It's not just the energy, but it's actually the refrigerant is a is, is very uh, intense greenhouse gas building power. Um, So what do you know? Do you know that? And until you really look at these things, you're often surprised at what you find.
1: And what's the second question?
0: Well, what are you doing now that you know? know, Do you have a plan? And increasingly these days, it's sort of a bold, audacious plan, zero waste or 100% renewably powered or carbon neutral. But even if it's not an absolute all or nothing kind of goal, you know, do you have a plan that, that that to to move forward? Maybe two or five or ten year plan. It may never get you to perfection, but is it there and is top management involved? Is everybody else involved? Are there paychecks in some way or bonuses in part dependent on how they perform? Are the suppliers and customers involved? You know, is there a plan? And finally, you know, once you know what you're doing and have a plan, what are you saying? How are you talking about this? Are you talking about it openly and authentically to everyone involved? Again, suppliers, customers, employees, the media, the regulators, and and so on. And not just waving your arms saying, hey, ain't we green, but actually actually having an honest conversation. So I maintain that, that companies that can demonstrate that they really understand their impacts have a plan in place to do something about it and are talking about it openly and authentically aren't necessarily good enough from a sense of this is all you need to do but they're in a solid footing on which to build environmental and make environmental claims and are far more insulated against charges of of greenwash
1: in terms of moving that needle forward are we at the tipping point is this just a trend
0: i get those questions a lot you know People see all the action, all the stuff that we report on greenbiz.com every day, and it's easy to say, wow, this is really happening. We've reached the tipping point. And the fact is, we really haven't. This is There's a lot going on, but in terms of a lot of companies doing a lot of substantive things, we're just not there yet. We've got a lot of companies doing a lot of things, but it's still kind of what I call random acts of greenness. It's just an assortment of different activities and isn't... Necessarily uh, coherent and cohesive, and it isn't enough to really move the needle to really address the environmental challenges. That you know, in other words, if all companies were doing what the best companies are doing, would we really transform uh, climate change and water and energy challenges that we're going to be facing? I'm not so sure. So we've got a long way to go. And then you asked, is it a trend? Absolutely not. I mean, this is a transformation of how business is being done. I mean, think about it. Once companies wring out the carbon and waste and inefficiency and, and materials and and energy embodied in all their products and, and operations, those aren't gonna come back once you know oil prices were to drop to only seventy five dollars a barrel. This is the new way of doing business. And when you see the transformations taking place in, you know, getting off of oil over the next couple of decades and the new business opportunities that are coming out of that and the new kinds of materials and the new water efficient or closed loop processes and biomimicry and the whole range of sort of cutting edge technologies this is this is we're not going to be going back to the way it used to be and so green business and the green economy is really here to stay you've been listening to green biz radio For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.